to Mike O'Brien. God bless him as he comes. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Victory family. Those who are tuning in from wherever you're tuning in from, um, just want to say thank you to Pastor Richard just for this opportunity. There's no greater privilege than to get to share the word of God. And I'm excited this morning because I believe God is just, he's doing something in this season in the church. He's doing something in the leaders of the church and us as a staff. Um, and we have to believe that there's a reason why we're going through this, that there's an ultimate purpose that God wants to accomplish through this season. And, and I can't help but even go back to one of the first messages pastor spoke on of just what is God speaking. And, and, and it was just simple. He's, he's, he's saying what he's always been saying. And, and that's just, it's such a simple revelation, but it's a, there's so much depth in that. And there's so much truth that can come from that because his word never changes. God never changes. Who changes is us. We change. And sometimes there are seasons in our lives where we listen more. And I think we're more in tune in this season to what God is saying. And so uh, maybe we've heard what God has been speaking. We've grown up in the church. We've read the Bible. But what God is speaking right now is hitting different um, areas in our hearts and our minds. And I believe that. And so we're going to just pray as we go to the Lord in prayer and just want to encourage you. You know, some of you never thought you'd be an evangelist. But, you know, you get to do evangelism by doing one simple thing is clicking that share button. When you hit that share button, the influence, the people on your page, your friends, coworkers, family, they might tune in and just might hear something that they need to in this moment, and God can break through. It's live stream because God will use this, and he already is using it to speak to people who might not have come to the church if the doors were open because it's a building. Um, but many people around are hearing God for the first time, and they're hearing the gospel. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, just to ask him to bless this word and to even anoint us to be able to hear it. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for just all that you have done, Lord, during this time. Father, we continue to lift up those who have lost loved ones. We continue to lift up our city, the, the government leaders, the officials, God. We continue to lift up the hospitals. Lord, we lift up the nursing homes, Father, the healthcare workers, nurses, doctors. Lord, those who are on the front lines right now, just, Lord, giving of their time and, and days and, and hours and of, of no sleep, God. And we just pray your blessing over them. Lord, we pray for just strength. Lord, strength from your throne into their physical bodies during this time. And God, we pray for that this virus would break, God. But before it breaks, do what you need to do in this time, God, so that when we come out of it, we'll be ready and prepared for the next thing that you want to do in the church. And it is in your name that we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, one thing that I just, this was echoing in my mind is God has a way of birthing something good in the middle of a time where things aren't good. He just has a way of doing that. If you, if you read through the Bible, I'm reading through it chronologically, and it is amazing the things that God sets up that people aren't even aware of. When we read the Bible, we're seeing it from the bird's eye view. But when you're living it, when you're going through these, these hard times to bring about redemption, and so during this time of, of COVID-19 and, and the, the, the globe just being shut down, I believe that God is doing something specifically for his church, but also people who are outside the church. And, and I, my prayer this week was, God, I don't want to come out of this unchanged. I want to make sure that I am changed. None of us go into a workout or a diet and say, I want to be at the same weight here uh, from a year from now. We don't go to the gym and say, I want to look the same. We don't try new things and say, Next year, I want to be the same. We don't enter and pay for college and say, I want to be at the same level of knowledge. We always want to be 
moving to the next thing. We want, we want to change. And, and so how can we as a church get ready and prepared for when God lifts this or allows it to lift and, and, and it's over with and, and it just becomes talk? <clears throat> and so I went on the, uh, my news app this morning and one of the articles was talking about how the, govern, the governor of New York came on and basically was saying that they think that this thing is starting to peak. And, you know, and that was it for me. I shut off the news feed because you can even see the articles around it are all negative. They're all saying, and, and what else is new? We know this time is bad, but for me, that's all I needed to hear. The thought that this was peaking, the thought that a thousand less people, in the, which in New York, they're like the epicenter of this right now and really struggling with it. And to hear just a sliver of good news, that's all I needed to hear. And I just began to think, you know what, this time will pass. This season will be over. And so I just don't want to come out of it the same way. I don't want to be thinking the same. And we have, as a staff, that's what we've been talking about. How can we do church differently? And obviously not changing the elements of what we bring, but in our hearts and our mind, how can we begin to minister to the influx of people that are going to come um, because of what God is doing? And so that's what I want to talk about today. And I do have three points. And instead of just going one, two, three, I'm just going to share the three points now, and as we go into the scripture, I want, I'll, I'll just remind you of those points um, and how they can help us during this time. We're going to be in the book of 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. That's going to be the main um, framework of what we're going to go back to, even in the conclusion of this message. Um, but we're also going to jump back to um, 1 Samuel as well to kind of get the meat, um, and we're going to tie them together and just believe that God is going to speak to us. And so... Um, what's awesome is we don't have the scriptures on the bottom. We don't have the words, but that's okay. If you have your Bibles, if you have an extra tablet or phone, we encourage you, open them up. Be a part of this. You know, we may be in your living room on your screens, but make your, make your living room a place uh, of church where you're gathered. You're reading through the scriptures together. And so 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. In verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so this morning we have three things, I have three things that I want you to focus on. And the first thing is, is there's a cost to your commitment, there's a cost to your conduct, and there's a cost to your contentment. And those three things are going to be woven through 1 Samuel as we look at a few characters that have come on the scene. And just to give a little background again, just that thought of God has a way of birthing something good in the middle of a time where things aren't good. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 3, 4, we're in a time of Israel's history that was not good. We're in a time where they are facing devastation. They are facing countless loss um, of deaths. And, and there's something happening to God's people. And, but God was already setting into motion a promise through a, a, a boy named Samuel and a mom named Hannah, who was a prayer warrior. And so we have this situation where when you think of commitment, there is a cost to what we are committed to. Commitment is the state of being dedicated to a cause. We are all committed to something. And there's a cost for that commitment. I think of the Yukon women. And, and when you go to that school, you know, I, I know someone who 
actually got a scholarship and a meeting to go play for them, but she was telling me the things that you had to do to commit to be on that team. You were not allowed to be on social media. You were not, there were so many things that high standards that they set, but you look at their history and they're very successful. And so there's commitments that we commit to in a, on a daily basis that we don't realize, but there's a cost to that commitment. And so we look at this woman, Hannah, who is barren. She can't have children. And, and the other person that her husband is married to is, is giving birth. And so what it says, they would go to the tabernacle once a year, and they would give of their offerings. And every time she would go, this woman would provoke her. She would, she would pick on her. She would look down on her. And this would happen year after year. And it says she was so upset that she would, she would refrain from eating. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we have people in our lives that they just wear on you. Or we have things in our past. The enemy uses voices to just chip away at you. And when you're trying to be committed, it just seems like you're, 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 you're not making any effort. But I want you to know that God looks at our commitment and he answers those prayers. And so she goes and God births in her this boy named Samuel. And one of the things that Hannah said is, Lord, if you give me a child, I'm going to dedicate him to you. I'm going to commit him to you. And you know what happens? She gives birth. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we pray for uh, a jump in our finances. We pray for things, and then when it happens, we sometimes maybe pull back a little bit and say, wow, God actually answered it, and so we don't give, or we don't. But Hannah was faithful to her commitment to God. And it says in Second, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, verse 11, Then Elkanah, who was her husband, went home to Ramah, and the boy, this was Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So these parents had to drop their child off after they had weaned him off and left him at the tabernacle to minister and to be under the priest. And I don't know about you, but being a parent, I can't think of leaving my, my only child at that time and, and walking away from the promise, walking away from what you've been praying for your whole life. But they stayed committed to it. And we're going to see the cost of that commitment. And sometimes we look at that as a negative thing, the cost of commitment. When you commit yourself to something, good things can happen. But when you commit yourself to things that aren't good, there can be negative effects. And we're going to see that in the life of um, two sons, who were basically the sons of Eli. And so we have this situation in this story where three characters come on the scene. We have Samuel, who was a young boy, who was born out of a miracle, and God was going to use him in this season of Israel. That was a time that wasn't good. And then you have these two sons who are the sons of Eli, who the Bible says in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 2, it says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. I don't know about you, but that's not something I would want on my tombstone. That's not what I would want to be known by is worthless. But the Bible goes out to, uh, out to say that they were worthless men. And look at this. They did not know the Lord. Now, these were priests. These were people who were supposed to, to, supposed to be leading people, who were supposed to be advocates between the people and God, who were supposed to be lifting up sacrifices and doing good things and encouraging the people. They had the garments on, they had the title, but they were worthless. And it says that they did not know God. But what do we know about Samuel? It says in 1 Samuel 3, 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. One word can change the destiny of someone's life. These priests who were supposed to be people who not only knew God but leading people to know him, they were worthless people because of the lives that they were, they were living. They were not committed to God even though they wore the garments. They were not committed to God even though they had the title, even though their daddy was the high priest. 
They were worthless because they had no commitment to God. It's one thing if they were of the world, they were wearing regular clothes and were living a lifestyle that was contrary. But if they were to say that I, we are priests and put on that robe and walk around and walk around in that title, there's a commitment that must come to that. And that also leads, there's a cost to your conduct. And look what the conduct of their life was. It says in verse 13, the custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. So back in the Old Testament, priests would actually get a portion of the food that was coming in. There would be three different portions, a portion for God, a portion for the priests, and then a portion that the people who are coming to offer it would keep. And so back in the Old Testament, they would actually get a portion of, I believe it was the thigh and the shoulder, but something changed years later where what they would do is they would take a fork and dip it in the pot, and whatever came out, the priest got to have. And so what they would do is they would give the portion to God first. So by putting it and cooking it in the pot, it would burn the fat off, which was the luxurious part of it, and that would go to God first. And I don't know about you, but if I was a priest, I'd have a pretty big fork because I have a big appetite. But it's whatever they stuck in and whatever come out was theirs. But something that they were doing was different. And we may overlook it, but as I was studying it, it really made me realize why God did what he did later on. It says that they would tell the people to give them the meat first, uncooked. And what that means is they were saying, we are not going to give God of his sacrifice. We want to take what we want first. We want to cook it the way we want it. We want to do what we want to do. And these were priests. These are people who are supposed to be leading the people of God. When God is doing something, he's going to start with church leadership first. He's going to start by, and that's what he's doing with us as a staff. He's speaking to our hearts. We're praying harder than we've ever prayed before, and we're believing. Our faith is rising to a whole new level. And so he's starting from the top, even in discipline. And so they chose to not be committed to him, and then the conduct of their life changed. It actually got to the point where people were coming to the tabernacle to give, and they were getting tired of doing it. They wanted to stop giving to the Lord because of what these priests were doing. And I don't know about you, but when you step in the middle of what God wants to do, there is going to be a discipline that's going to come. God's judgment will fall. There is repentance. There is love. But we have to recognize that if we are going to call ourselves Christians, even as 1 John was saying, if we're going to say that we know him, then we better be walking in the way that God walked. And it's not talking about perfection because later on, he, earlier he says that Jesus Christ has to be the advocate for us because even if we do sin, we need someone to intercede for us. But there is a difference when you are blatantly choosing to live a life that is contrary to what you claim. And I feel there's a lot of people in churches, and we've wrestled with this, with the atmosphere. There are people who are coming in who are dressed the, the, the right way. They have the title of Christian, but their life is so contrary to what the Bible says. And God sees that. There is a cost to your commitment, and there is a cost to your conduct. You can live however you want. And when you choose to do that, there's going to be a cost either way. The disciples, even in their own lives, they said, James says, count it, I count it joy to go through different persecutions and trials. The disciples, when they got beat for preaching the word of God, it says they walked away with joy and they counted it joy because they counted the cost because they got to be, um, they were beaten because of sharing the gospel. And so there's a cost either way. 
And not only were they hindering people from offering sacrifices to the Lord, they were also having sexual immorality with women who were at the doors worshiping. And they were coming out, these men, they were deceiving these women and living this life that was so filthy from what they were supposed to be doing. And we have this moment where Eli, the father, you know, I can't even imagine the father. Here he is, the high priest. Here he is, the person who's supposed to be the advocate for the father, and his sons are turning away from God. And not just turning away from him, they are living a life completely contrary to the robes that they're wearing and to the title that they have. And it says in verse 22, now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing in all Israel. You know, word even went out back in the Bible days. They may not have had social media, but word goes out no matter what. You know, people talk about families. People love to talk about it. And, and when we do things wrong, and, and Tara and I have experienced that before, we've had people who've judged us for being parents, and we've just had to learn how to just focus on the people who love us, focus on the people who pour into us. And uh, I, we can't even tell you, we, one conversation with Pastor Richard and Pastor Lisa, and we're good. We're back on, and we're encouraged. And so... Eli is realizing that there's a reputation. What his sons are doing are getting around. And look what it says. He says, and again, in verse 22, Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing in all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? This is a, this is a, a question that's valid, but there's really no answer to it, because there's no excuse for what they were doing. There's nothing that his sons could have said that could have validated what they were doing. But he didn't really know what to do. He just said, why are you doing such things? For I hear your evil dealings from all these people. And he says, no, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. So he's telling them, there's nothing good that people are saying about the lives that you're living. You would think that would bring them to repentance. You would think their father, who was the high priest, coming in and addressing this situation would have turned their lives around. But it goes on to say, he says, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But look what this, look what question he says. Who can intercede? God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? And that's right. If we're living a life that's contrary to God, who can intercede for us? It's only Jesus. And 1 John says that, that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, which was an appeasing. We can't do this walk on our own. We can't, we can't grasp salvation on our own. It is only through Jesus Christ. And God set up priests and ultimately down the line to usher in his son who would become the high priest, who would never die and who would forever intercede for us. And that is a powerful thing. But what, is, what he says, he says, but they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. There is a cost to your commitment. There is a cost to your conduct. And there is a cost to your contentment. Contentment is basically a state of satisfaction or happiness. What makes you happy? What satisfies you? And I think in this time with this virus going around, we're realizing that things that were cut out, those weren't really truly things that satisfied us. The things that satisfy us are really coming to the surface. It's being together with our families. It's being together with our kids. It's, it's connecting with church people, talking about the word of God. We can't even do anything outside of our homes. And so in this time, God is showing us what should truly be satisfying, and it's him. And my, my greatest fear is that people will come out of this time when the stores open up, when their businesses open up, when their salaries increase again, and they will miss what God wanted to do. There is a cost to your commitment. What are you dedicating your life to? There is a cost to your conduct. How are you living your life? 
because you may not be facing the consequences for how you're living right now, but you will face the consequences when you stand before God. And who are you willing to put in front of you? Your own life, your own merit, your job, your relationship? Or do you want to have Jesus Christ standing in front of you to be that? And lastly, there's a cost to your contentment. What is truly satisfying you right now? The word of God right now is speaking so much louder than it's ever spoken before because we're in a season where things are scaled back. But look what it says in verse 26. And this is where it says, where God has a way of birthing something good in the middle of a time where things aren't good. It says, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. In 1 John, when it says that, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is being perfected, it's talking about this maturing process. We're not called to be perfect, but we're called to mature. We're called to always be growing. And while two guys who were priests, who were wearing a robe, who had the title, were, were living a life that was so contrary, here was a boy that God handpicked out of a miracle, placed in the house of the Lord, and he would be that partial fulfillment of God ushering in Jesus Christ. And that's a powerful thing. And what was his conduct? It says here that the boy continued to grow. We need to be continuing to grow. We need to, we need to count our commitment. We need to look at the conduct of our lives. It's like if you take a big bag and you just spill that out over the floor and you're trying to clean your house, you're looking and seeing what, ne- what can be thrown away, what can be kept. I think all, we as Christians, we need to spill out everything in our lives, the way that we're living, and we need to reanalyze how we're living and what we're doing behind closed doors. And we need to bring that to the Lord and say, God, how can I change my conduct? How can I mature through this process so that when the churches open up again, I don't affect the atmosphere for what God wants to do? And lastly, we, this, this part where it talks about the Lord, now the Lord is coming and disciplining. I, I hate disciplining my girls. And there are some times where we give them grace, but there are some times where we have to discipline. There are certain things that, that happen, and what discipline does is, is, is it, it opens your eyes and it brings that correction so you don't do it again, or you, you have second thoughts before you do do it again. And so because of how the priests were living, not only were they blocking people from coming to the church to offer their sacrifices, they were, they were living a life of sexual immorality and being in that position. And God came after that. And what he did is he rebuked Eli's household. He rejected him. And look what he says. And it says, and there came a man, this is verse 27, to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when you were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh. And so, again, just to skip a lot of this, basically what he was saying is, I set up a high priest in Aaron, and I promised that there would be a line that would succeed through him. You are part of that, but now I am rejecting you. And look what he said. He goes further in the text and says, basically, you're all going to die. You're all going to be cut off. And those who are living, those who live out a little longer, they're going to be left alive so that they can see and weep and see the destruction. And he said, part of that sign will be your two sons will die on the same day. Now, he he didn't tell him that Eli would eventually die on that same day as well. But what we know is that this wouldn't all be fulfilled in the life of Eli or his sons. We know that once he removed Eli, he still replaced a priest, Zadok. Later on, we see Solomon replacing him. And it said it was to fulfill this time right here. And eventually, it will be Jesus Christ. So even though there was discipline, even though there was correction, God was setting up a line of redemption for his people. But there was a, 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 a time in their lives where they were going to have to walk through a very hard and a very difficult 
time. And I love in verse 35 where he says, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Something that I thought was so powerful and I was talking with Pastor Richard before um, we started the live stream just in his office and we were praying. What's amazing is the priests wore this thing called an ephod and that's what distinguished them from a priest. But look in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. This was amazing. He didn't go to preschool. He wasn't handpicked from the bloodline. He was actually a miracle. But it says that even as a young child, he was wearing this ephod. And what the Lord was showing me is that after this, this, this whole COVID thing and this whole pandemic, he is clothing people right now who have maybe not gone to Bible school, who maybe didn't go to Sunday school, who never attended church, he is clothing people right now, not based off what they've done in their past, not based off their lineage. He's beginning to clothe people right now who he is going to pour because he's not looking for people who just have the title. He's looking for people who have the same heart and have that same mind. And luckily, even though Eli's sons were living chaotic lives, thank God that God still put Samuel under him. And it says, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. This, there's a message for church people, and there's a message for those who are maybe tuning in for the first time who have never stepped into a church. If you call yourself a Christian, and you came to church consistently, you committed yourself to church, we need to make sure that what we are saying, how we are dressing, is reflecting what we're proclaiming to the world. And for those who have never stepped into a church before and maybe are listening to this for the first time, God's love covers everything. In 1 John 2, it says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. But it says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Don't listen to the lie of the devil to think, well, God is only going to forgive the sins of Peter and Paul and, and these great... God's, God's love and forgiveness covers the entire world. But we have a choice. When Eli rebuked his sons and began to question them, it says that they chose not to listen to what he said. We cannot go by who our dad is or who our mom is to get into heaven. We have to have a real relationship with God. The sons of Eli did not know God even though they were wearing the ephod. Samuel, who was a young boy, was wearing the ephod and serving him. He did not yet know him, but the word of the Lord would eventually be revealed to him. That is huge. There is a cost to your commitment. What are you committed to? There is a cost to your conduct. You can live however you want, but there's going to be a cost to how you live. It's amazing how we have laws outside in the roads. We have yellow lines, so one dri a car drives on the other side, another car. We have laws for a reason so that we can live in unity. Why not have spiritual laws written as well? But we neglect what God says in his word because we want to live and do what we want to do in our own eyes. And that is where... The, the, the nation of Israel started to detour, especially in Judges where it says they begin to do what was right in their own eyes. I don't trust my flesh. I don't trust myself. I have to look to God, to Jesus, who was perfect, who walked this lifestyle perfect. Amen? There is a cost to your commitment. There is a cost to your conduct. And there is a cost to your contentment. What are you satisfied with? And so we have this time in the scripture where 
Now Samuel is on the scene. He's heard from God. God has revealed himself to him. And now, look at this. We have a time in Israel's history where it said that they began to draw a line in the sand to go against the Philistines. The Philistines were a nation that had begun to come in and wreak havoc over the Israelites. And what happened is they came and drew a line. Now, God's people, when they were committed to God, when they were living a life that was in, um, in conduct to him, when they were satisfied with who God was, they were destroying nations. God was winning their fights. And so the battle line is drawn, and what happens? The Philistines beat the Israelites. Look what it says here. In verse chapter 4, it says in verse 2, the Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. I don't know about you, but if you're God's people, we're supposed to be protected. If 4,000 lives are lost, that's going to cause leadership to come together to figure out what's going on. And that's what it says. It says, and when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And they get very spiritual. They say, let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. They began to focus on the ark of God instead of the God of the ark. They thought if we can go take this, this emblem of God's presence and bring it into battle, then we're going to have the victory. That can sound very spiritual, but they were missing the point. They were thinking they could twist God's arm and say, God, we're going to have you do what we want you to do when we want it, but we're not going to stay committed. We're going to continue living our lives out of conduct, and we're not going to be content with you. And so what happened? It says they, drew, they brought the ark in, and who was there but Eli's sons? And it says in verse 5, as soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded or the earth shook. Don't be deceived by large gatherings of people worshiping. It doesn't matter if you're worshiping loud enough and the doorposts are shaking. If the heart of God isn't there and you're living a life contrary, then it's just loud noise. Anyone who walked by this in camp would look and say, wow, look at them worship. Look at them. The ground is shaking. The rocks are moving. God must be here. But look what happened. It says that when the Philistines heard the noise, they were afraid. They heard the shouting, but they didn't run away. They actually said to each other, they said, take courage and be men, O Philistines. And you know what they did? They came and fought against them, and 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. What this is telling us is the nation of Israel had no commitment to God. They were not abiding by their conduct or the manner in which they were behaving. And they were no longer content with God. And so they thought they could bring in this wood box covered in gold and get the victory. They lost more men than when they didn't have the ark. And that says something. And as I close, we read this horrible report. Israel faced a great slaughter. It says that 30,000 people fell. The ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli were dead. In verse 12, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When you deliver bad news, what he was doing was showing physically that bad news was coming. He tore his clothes. He put dirt on his head. It was a sign of mourning. And it says that Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled 
for the ark of God. Even though he didn't take care of the situation with his sons the way he should have, there was still something in him that was trembling. Maybe he knew he shouldn't have sent the ark. But his heart was trembling for the ark of God. And so this man comes up covered in dirt, tours, his, 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 his clothes are torn. And what does he say? Eli says, what's the news, my son? And he says, we just, we just had a terrible, terrible battle. We lost. The ark of God has been captured. Your sons are dead. And look what it says here. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. And when he told him all these things in verse 18, as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died for the man was old and he was heavy. What a terrible time for the nation of Israel. Not only did his two sons die, not only did they lose 34,000 people, not only was the ark of God captured, but look at Eli's daughter-in-law. She was giving birth. She was about to give birth. This is a time of joy. This was a time of celebration. And now she's lost her husband. She's lost her brother-in-law. She's lost her father-in-law. She's lost the nation. And the ark of God is captured. And it says, and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, do not be afraid for you have born a son. But she said this, she didn't answer. She says she named the child Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. I wish someone who was filled with the spirit could have said to her, you have it wrong. The glory of God did not depart because the ark was captured. The glory of God departed because people were no longer committed to God. Their conduct and the manner in which they were living no matter, didn't line up with what they were claiming. And lastly, they were no longer content and satisfied with the God of the ark. And so this morning, I'm going to close in prayer. And I just want you to, as we prepare and as we're beginning to hear good news that maybe the country will begin to go back to work. It could be a week from now. It could be months from now. We don't know. But God wants to do something right now before that happens in your heart. And allow what he's speaking and doing in your word. Remember, there's a cost to your commitment. What are you committed to? Church people, what are you committed to? Those who have never heard of Jesus and are watching this morning, what is your life committed to? What are you dedicated to? There's a cost to your conduct. The manner in which you behave, there's a cost. We have to line our behavior and our living with something. And lastly, there's a cost to your contentment. What is satisfying you right now? Only God can satisfy. And as I pray, we're going to do something a little different. If, you, if this is your first time and you've been listening to us these past few weeks from Pastor Richard's messages, even to Dr. Mike Caparelli's message from last Wednesday, if you have been listening and maybe you have never said the prayer of salvation, maybe you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you to do that opportunity in this prayer. And what you can even do is use a, even a hand emoji where you are in your house right now. And if that is you, put that hand emoji up. If you're with someone who has a device, have them put the hand up and put your name next to it. And what we will do as a staff is we'll pray over those names and we'll speak life over that and we'll walk with you any way that we can before we come back together and commune. But I encourage you, if that's you this morning, put that hand emoji up and we're going to pray for you and we're going to just ask that the Lord of the Israelites, the Lord of the Bible, the Lord who is sovereign over all, 
will come into your heart this morning, that you will recommit your life to God, that you will recommit and realize there's a cost to your conduct, and you will begin, the Holy Spirit will help you to change behaviors, the ways that you're living. And lastly, that there will be a contentment in Jesus, a contentment, a satisfaction that you've never had before. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for everyone who's tuning in, for those who will be watching this at a later time. Lord, we pray that your word would go forth. God, that it would break apart, Lord, the lies of the enemy, the lies of our culture, God. I pray right now for those who, for the first time, are just are, are putting that hand emoji up to pray and say, you know what, I want to commit myself to the Lord for the first time. Lord, it's not about lineage. It's not about a title. It's not about what school they went to. It's not about what they've done in their past. You said in your word that it's the sins of the whole world that you came for. And I pray this morning that people would put their, just their, their lives at your feet this morning. And Lord, I pray that we as a staff, as we pray over these names, that these would be people who would stay committed to these live streams. And when we come back together, they would begin to walk in discipleship and the things that the church has to offer. Thank you for our staff. Thank you for the anointing that we have, God, that you are giving us during this time. And if this is your first time, I want you to pray, Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I am not committed to you. I recognize that the conduct of my lives is contrary to your scripture. And I realize that I'm not satisfied with anything. Right now, God, I ask that you would come into my life. I ask that you would come in and I commit myself to you. I recognize that I am a sinner in need of grace. I recognize that my lifestyle, I can't win this and do this by myself, and I need an advocator who will stand at heaven's courtroom and stand up for the things I've done in my past. And lastly, God, I pray for all those who are, who are for the first time praying this, God, that they would be satisfied with your presence even now, satisfied with your word. Father, we commit all of this into your hands. We ask for an anointing for the grocery drive. We ask for an anointing for the prayer drive and believe that we're going to see a decrease in these viruses spreading because the church is rising up and interceding on behalf of their city. We believe that, God. We thank you for all that you are. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We ask that you again continue to share, continue to worship. We're going to close in a song. And if that was you today, Put that hand emoji up, put your name in there, and we as a staff will take this week and go through it. Write your names down, and we're going to continue praying for you. If you need to call and you need prayer, we are here for you, and we want to encourage you to do that. God bless you as we close in worship.